0: To the birthplace of Next, the podcast where city leaders discuss the latest news and developments in Dayton that continue to make it livable, sustainable, and an innovative community. I'm Tony Bankston, Chief Communication Officer with the City of Dayton. On today's episode, we talk with Assistant City Prosecutor Troy Daniels to learn more about the city panhandling ordinance. Troy, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Troy, this past July, the Dayton City Commission passed a new ordinance that eliminated the requirement that people who engage in solicitation register with the city. Can you tell our listeners about the recent court decisions that have caused city leadership to change its position on how it deals with panhandlers?
1: Sure, Tony. So, in the summer of 2015, the United States Supreme Court issued a decision that changed the way other courts around the country are required to look at certain types of free speech cases. Panhandling, just so you're aware, is considered protected speech under the First Amendment. Now I know most people might not think of it that way, but this has actually been the case for some time. What changed though is the way communities are allowed to regulate protected speech. This new decision had the effect of making it far more difficult to regulate panhandling going forward. And though the United States Supreme Court is part of the federal government, our state courts and even our local courts like Dayton Municipal Court, we're all required to follow its decisions. So right around the time the Supreme Court decision was made, our panhandling laws and ordinances here in the city of Dayton were challenged in Dayton Municipal Court. So the prosecutor's office took a look at the decision of the Supreme Court, also took a look at the decisions that were being made elsewhere around the country over about the six month period following that Supreme Court decision. Basically around the country, courts were all ruling, now based on the Supreme Court decision, that some long-standing panhandling ordinances very similar to the ones that we had, were now being ruled unconstitutional given that new decision. So based on that, seeing what was happening around the country, we believe that our ordinances were probably at risk for being found unconstitutional too. So, of course, city leadership still wanted to address the city's panhandling concerns, so we were asked, as the prosecutor's office, to take a look at ways to regulate panhandling activity that would still protect individual free speech rights that were required by law, but also try to offer some sort of regulation of this activity, and our new ordinances are really the product of that effort.
0: Okay, so just to backtrack a little bit, the city didn't have much of a choice when it came to whether or not they were going to change their ordinance we had to make that change because of decisions that were made on the federal level?
1: That's correct. We really were stuck in a place where our ordinances were being reviewed, and we already knew the outcome in a lot of cases that looked a lot like ours. And so it was pretty easy for us to predict that if we continued the track that we were on, ours would likely end up in the same place, which is being found unconstitutional. And if that were to happen, they'd be completely unenforceable. So we had to start looking at some other options.
0: Okay, so with the new ordinance, can you explain what has changed and what is no longer restricted?
1: So the first thing to understand is that the Supreme Court decision made it nearly impossible to directly regulate asking someone for money. That's what our old ordinance did. We actually regulated whether or not people and when people were allowed to ask other people for anything of value, and that includes money.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> so, what had to happen is we had to focus on someone's conduct instead. So, their actions rather than their words. Okay. So, so, what our new ordinance does is it focuses on giving or receiving something tangible. So, such as money, but it could also be drugs, it can also be pamphlets, it can be informational. Really, it's the giving or receiving of anything that's the action we're focused on, not so much what people are saying.
0: Okay. So do pe- I know under the old ordinance, people had to register. That has been abolished with the new one.
1: Right. And so that's why the second part's important. Even though we're allowed to regulate conduct, we're allowed to regulate what people are doing, we're only allowed to regulate it when it creates a public safety risk. And so that's why the scope of this new ordinance is smaller than what citizens were accustomed to under our previous ordinance. Once again, we had to look at what other courts were doing with this requirement that it has to be related to public safety. And what we saw was that some of the things that we might think is public safety, the courts didn't think was risky enough for us to be allowed to regulate it. So, for instance, registration, Mm -hmm. we had felt like there was this need to have people registered before they were allowed to ask other people for money. Courts, however, looked at that and all decided that they did not believe that that rose to this level of safety risk that made it necessary for people to have to register. So that's why one of the major differences you're going to see is that panhandlers are now allowed to hold signs while standing at intersections or in medians or on sidewalks. Just holding a sign isn't considered conduct that creates a safety risk, at least as these courts have looked at it.
0: Okay. So the new ordinance, just to clarify for any of our listeners, really deals with the X of distribution.
1: Exactly. Distribution is just our legally word that means giving or receiving something or exchanging something. So you don't have to necessarily get something and receive. You can just give or just receive. And in the case of most panhandlers, they're looking to receive something, probably money. And so that's what our distribution word covers. But as I said earlier, it can cover giving or receiving things other than money.
0: Okay. So knowing all of this now, can you give us a few examples of what lawful panhandling looks like as it relates to targeting people and vehicles?
1: Sure. So... The first thing that we tried to do with our ordinance is restrict when people are allowed to go into the roadway or restrict when people are allowed to solicit people who are in the roadway, and namely when they're allowed to actually go up and exchange with them. Because, again, just asking isn't going to be where the problem is. So looking at our new ordinance, we've got two different restrictions. So I'm going to start with the first one. The first one is that you can't give or receive something with a vehicle occupant if that vehicle is committing a traffic or parking offense. So for example, let's say a vehicle is sitting at a green light, not moving forward and is obstructing all this traffic behind it while giving money to a panhandler. That panhandler can now be charged under this new ordinance.
0: What about the driver?
1: Well, that's important to note. The driver can get a ticket, but it's not for the panhandling. Okay. The driver is getting a ticket for obstructing traffic. That the makes driver sense. is doing something wrong. And the panhandler is there pretty much contributing to them doing something wrong It's kind of part of the cause. So the driver has always been able to be charged with doing whatever that traffic offense is. We haven't changed traffic laws. We haven't made any new places where drivers are now getting in trouble where they used to not be. These are all things that we've already had. It's simply that if you're committing this offense while giving money to a panhandler, well then you're going to end up with not only can the driver be charged with the offense, but now the panhandler can be charged too.
0: Okay, so let me let me give you an example and sure. let me know if this is lawful. I'm at a red light. The light is red, and if someone were to approach my car and ask asked me for money or something of that nature, have I violated the law or have they violated it if I'm at a red light?
1: Okay, so this is a special case, and so I actually, this was, I had said that we had made two new restrictions. This is actually the second one, okay. so let's just go ahead and talk about that. So the second ordinance that we passed, or it was all part of the same ordinance, but the second part of this law prohibits someone from entering the roadway to give or receive something from a vehicle when that vehicle stopped at a red light. So a red light's kind of a special circumstance that we particularly carved out. Because as you were saying, let's say you're the driver Mm -hmm. and you're sitting in your car and you're at a red light. You're not breaking any laws. You're you're stopped at a red light. So that first part of the law we talked about is not going to apply to you. You didn't violate anything. Right. What's happened though is the panhandlers approached your vehicle. They are committing a violation by approaching your vehicle and and exchanging something or receiving something. You haven't. Okay. Now, the reason why this becomes an issue, and remember we were talking here about safety, it makes sense that we don't want people, when those lights turn green, as inevitably they do, as long as it seems to take sometimes for them to turn green, (laughs) when that light turns green, we don't want people standing in the middle of the intersection, all of a sudden, now all these cars want to start zipping by. That's the safety risk. So that's why we are allowed to regulate people coming out into the intersection during red lights. It's not unsafe while the red light's there, it's unsafe when it suddenly turns green, and so we can go ahead and say that whole situation isn't going to be safe. It's a public safety risk and we regulate it. Okay. Now for you as the driver, you are also running the risk that that light's gonna turn green. Yes. Because you're in the middle of maybe trying to give money to a panhandler, that light turns green, and now you're in the first situation we talked about. And you're now sitting I'm there. breaking the law. Exactly, you're obstructing traffic while you're trying to give money, and now you're breaking the law. And so, again, you might get a ticket not for the panhandling or for the new distribution ordinance, but rather for the traffic violation you just committed.
0: Okay, so basically uh, panhandlers or solicitors are not allowed to enter the right-of-way, if I'm understanding this correctly.
1: Yeah, right-of-way is another one of those legal terms that has an exact meaning, but I think for most people's use, they can kind of think of it as the roadway, the part of the road that people are actually going to drive on. So the part of the road that's past the little white line Mm -hmm. that's kind of the fog line at the end, the part where cars we actually expect to travel, that's going to be the right-of-way. And that's where they're not supposed to be in order to get to a car that's stopped for a red light. Now, if the car is stopped for some other reason and is not committing any traffic offense, well then they might be there and not breaking any of the panhandling laws. Okay. But then they run the risk of breaking some of the other laws we have on the books, like jaywalking. Okay. So jaywalking is gonna generally prohibit people from being in the roadway in other times, just even whether they're panhandling or whether they're just walking in the road that presents a safety risk. And so we regulate that under jaywalking. And those jaywalking laws haven't changed. They're the same that they've been.
0: Okay. So let's switch gears a little bit and discuss situations that involve people walking down the sidewalk. Can you explain what aggressive panhandling looks like? And what should people do if this happens to them?
1: All right. So first, it's important to realize that just Approaching someone and asking for money isn't aggressive panhandling. That's, okay. that's legal. And I know that that feels different because it's a big change from our prior ordinance. Under our old ordinances, and we've already discussed this, people had to register before they could ask other people for money. Very few people did that. And so as a result, most people who in any circumstance in the city went up to someone and asked for money, they were violating the law because they had okay. never registered. So as a result, it felt like anyone who asked for money, anyone who panhandled was breaking, breaking the, law. the law. It wasn't because we had an ordinance saying you couldn't do it. It was because of the requirement to register. Okay. So now that that's gone, just asking someone for money is, I know it seems like not something we think of, but it's right. protected speech. So instead what we're doing is we're focusing on aggressive panhandling. And aggressive panhandling is going to have three different types of, of ways that someone can get in trouble with that. So the first is gonna be if a panhandler touches or grabs someone while they're trying to get them to give money. So that someone comes up, they grab your arm or they grab your purse or they they grab you in some way and say, hey, give me some money. Well, we have kind of a personal bubble and and we're, (laughs) we're gonna respect that, that that's not really what we're looking for. That's more than just speech. Okay. The second way is gonna be if a panhandler follows you after you've already told them that you either don't want to give or don't have anything to give, and they keep asking. Okay. So for example, you're walking along, a panhandler asks you for money, and you say, no thanks, or you say, I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have anything on me right now, but they don't leave you alone. They just keep following Ask, you, and following they keep asking, and, and, and this goes on for a little while. Now this has become something different than just speech. it's now become conduct that we can regulate and it's aggressive. Okay The third example is very similar, but instead of just merely following you, they're actually getting within three feet of your person and again, that's kind okay. of a personal bubble space. So you've told you've told them no and they keep asking but now they're like right on top of you. They're up in your face. Okay. So you might have come to a complete standstill. So they're not necessarily following you, but they are definitely in your face. Now they might also be screaming or threatening you. Okay. And that might break other laws. And and we can talk about those as well. But this law is gonna cover continued asking once they're inside that three foot kind of personal bubble after you've already told them no. So and that's really what's may be important here to for for listeners to understand that if they're dealing with a situation like this the first thing they want to do is just say no or let them know that they don't have anything they want to give because that's one for us uh, it's a required part of the law there has to be this statement that says no thanks I, I don't want to participate
0: okay but simply asking someone for money is not illegal If someone comes up to you very politely and say hey can you spare some change, and I say no, and they leave you alone, they've not committed any crime. Exactly. Okay.
1: And in fact, most of the times that I've experienced being asked for money, if I've simply said no or let them know that I don't carry any cash on me, that's usually it. They usually say, okay, thanks, and and they move on to the next person. If that's all your interaction is, that was legal. They had the right to ask, you have the right to say no, and you both move on with with your lives, and you you move on with your day. On the other hand, if they then keep following you or they get in your face or they're, they're now harassing you, get in your bubble, that's when it's crossed that line into something that we've said no to, and that's really when you should try to involve the police.
0: Okay. So you keep mentioning there's other laws that people in soliciting could violate or you who's being solicited can violate. Can you highlight some? I know you mentioned jaywalking. What are some that one, and what, what are some of the other laws that people should be aware that have always been in effect.
1: So what we took a look at was what type of laws do we currently have in place that are already doing a good job of protecting our citizens and didn't really need any tweaking. And we just kind of more need to let citizens know that these laws are out there. One of those we mentioned is jaywalking, and jaywalking is going to take care of people being in the roadway. As I said, that's okay. a safety concern. We don't want people walking in our roads when cars are whizzing by. It's not safe for the motorists. It's not safe for them. So, But that's more something that law enforcement is going to look out for and handle. Okay. For most of our listeners, they're going to be more concerned with how do they uh, handle situations when someone gets aggressive with them or someone starts making them feel like they might harm them. Right. And we have statutes on the books that take care of that. So the first one would be menacing. Menacing essentially prohibits someone from threatening other people. That's At its core, that's what it is. So this might apply if a panhandler is doing or saying something that makes a reasonable person think that panhandler is going to harm them. Maybe it's express. Maybe it's I'm going to beat you up. It might just be a mixture of body language and aggression and what they're saying. If a reasonable person in your situation would feel like I think I might get harmed if I say no, then we've probably crossed the line into menacing, and that's something okay. you want to let police know about. Okay. Another example is a law that we have against disorderly conduct, and disorderly conduct is really a very big catch-all. It has a lot of different conduct it covers, but there's three different types that's under disorderly conduct that could apply with a pain handler. So one is that it prohibits someone from acting in a violent, turbulent, or threatening manner. So Even if you didn't necessarily feel threatened, if they're just acting in a very threatening way or they're acting very turbulent and violent. shouting
0: and and with that fall under disorderly conduct as well?
1: It does. And that's actually its own section. It's, It's its own section that says you can't cause unreasonable noise. Okay. So this is the same section that gets people in trouble if they walk into the ER or a hospital and start yelling at the top of their lungs. Okay. Same law covers that. Well you shouldn't be on the street corner yelling at people on the other side of the street because they didn't give you a dollar that's not something that promotes a healthy society so
0: if someone has committed this or menacing then their course of action is really to let dayton police know where this has occurred
1: it is and and we want business owners to do that as well because our business community can play a big role in this and that If they are the tenant or they lease the property where they have their business establishment or they're the owner or even if they're a manager or agent of the owner, they can report panhandlers that are on private property to police. Police can, one, come out and let them know they're not welcome there to continue panhandling. And if they keep doing it, they can be charged with our panhandling ordinance because we actually have an ordinance that says on private property, if you're told you can't do it, you can't do it. They can also be asked not to come back at all, okay. and that's called trespass. And so our business community can trespass people off private property, and if they come back, Dayton police can enforce that trespass order and remove them. As far as l- getting Dayton police involved, it's important for listeners to understand that when you make a report, you're going to have to actually wait and let Dayton police show up and, and talk to them. And, and okay. unfortunately, uh, the reality is is that when we've got call-outs for uh, a violent crime in progress, or a robbery, or uh, even an assault in progress, that's going to get a little bit of a higher priority than a panhandling complaint. Dayton police will get to you, but it may not be as quickly as we might want. But it's important to follow through on that report. Um, and to understand that you may also be asked to come in and testify about what happened. Okay. So one of the rules of our criminal justice system is that we typically only get to hear from people in court who actually personally witnessed what's happening. Okay. So if a panhandler approached you and they were aggressive with you or threatened with you, chances are there wasn't a police officer right there to watch it Absolutely. Happen. So what we need is for that citizen to go ahead and take that extra step of not just talking to the police, but then following up by talking to a prosecutor when they're asked to, and to come into court possibly to testify. Now, a lot of times they don't have to ultimately testify. A lot of times people, once they realize that they've been caught, mm-hmm. they go ahead, they accept responsibility, and they accept whatever consequences they're gonna get from our system. But in those cases when we need to have a trial, it's important that we have people who follow through, and it's important that citizens uh, are encouraged to do that. You know, unfortunately, there's very little that the city and its leaders and its prosecutors can do to enforce some of these laws if the people who witness them don't participate in the process with us. And, And for listeners who want to see change in this area, you may have to take an active role in making that change happen by being an active part of the process if you happen to be the person who's on the receiving end of one of these situations. Because we can address those problems. We just need to be in partnership with you to make that happen.
0: Troy, you've given our listeners a lot of great information. Is there anything else you'd like to leave with them today?
1: I just want to encourage them that the city really is taking the concerns that we're hearing very seriously. We do understand uh, that, especially for business owners or people who might not be used to seeing the amount of panhandling activity in the community that they're now seeing, they might not have been used to that previously, that this isn't falling on, on deaf ears, that the changes we've made, were only really what was required for us to make by changes at the federal level as far as how these laws are working out, but that we think that when we all are taking an active role in uh, following through when there is a problem and giving some some grace when someone's just asking us uh, for some money but but basically goes about their business after we say yes or no, then I think that we can find that we can all uh, live together and have a very productive community.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today, Troy. For more information about Dayton's panhandling law or other laws, please visit us online at DaytonOhio.gov. Thanks for listening to Birthplace of Next, a publication of the City of Dayton's Office of Communication and Public Affairs. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you never miss the latest news about business, technology, and development in Dayton. If you have questions or feedback for us, Email city hall at Daytonohio.gov.